0: republic of new york
1: new york there's plenty of money in this country it's
2: just in the wrong hands
0: the moss show politics current events and just a bit of judaism two guys that are always right except when their wives tell them they're wrong you're listening to the moss show
1: I gonna start in
2: five, four, three. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Mash Show. This is Nach Mostovsky with my co-host Chesky Moskowitz. How you doing, Chesky?
0: I'm good, Nach. how about you?
2: I'm doing good, doing good. Uh, you know, we just uh, finished a a interesting week, which you know this. This actual week started with uh, what is to those that are listening that don't know uh, is was Tishah the ninth of the month of Av, which is the saddest day in the Jewish year. Um, I know many of our, our Christian listeners uh, do know about th- in the Bible, and 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 this was started when the Jews cried for no reason um, when the spies came back from 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 going into the Holy Land, and they said. Uh, evil about the land and God said that you cried over nothing and now for generations you'll cry over something so many bad things have happened on that day in our Jewish calendar both the temples were destroyed World War I was actually started which culminated into World War II um, the the Spanish Requisition started also as well on the 9th of of and many many other atrocities to the Jewish people all started on that day in the Jewish calendar so, uh, this, this year, the left-wing people that are of Jewish descent left-wing
0: decided
2: – I, I, mean, I don't know what to say because I don't want to say left-wing Jews because the fact that they're Jews is irrelevant to this story. They just happened to be Jewish. Their mothers were Jewish. Some of their fathers maybe were Jewish. I'm pretty sure half the people that showed up to these protests were not even Jewish at all according to any form of Judaism. Um, and they decide they were going to, what they do best, hijack a religion for their progressive purposes. You see them do this with, with all sorts of of religions. They do it in Catholicism. They're trying to do it in Islam, having a little bit of a harder time doing it over there, um, that intersectionality. is, And I will come to that a little bit later about what happened this week um, in the Muslim community um, and how these same organizations gushed all over them. Um, but uh, you have. Do you want
0: to list which ones gushed over them?
2: Yeah. So you have. I mean, it was it was a potpourri of these Jewish organizations this week. You had, I think it was mostly Bend the Ark, which is which is uh, one of the big ones. You had Bend the Ark, Hit Torah, Torah Trumps Hate, um, uh, True Rabbis, High ass um and a few other organizations the only legitimate organization in that entire group i think was hias but hias has now made it their their sole purpose to attack the president and policies of of supporting the border um i, I i'm not sure it's interesting that that they are a organization that is created for asylum seekers yet with the new policy of the president we're the asylum hearings are actually done in Mexico and not in the United States. Out of the, I think it was 1,700 um, hearings in the last month or something like that, not one person was granted asylum. Not one. And these are these are judges, by the way, many appointed by Obama. Um, some may even go back as far as Clinton. I mean, they, they, these are federal judges. They go way back. Um, none of these people are asylumese. So it, it, the whole thing is a joke. Everybody knows it's a joke, um, calling these people uh, uh, asylumese. So they decided they were going to hijack the saddest day of the year. Now, you have to understand something. This is, a, this is a day where Orthodox Jews sit on the floor. We, some people even tear their clothing as if they were sitting Shiva, which is something that um, people do when, when their parent dies or their sibling dies or their child dies. They sit on the floor they cry they, they we fast for 25 hours we fast for 25 hours we we it, it, it's just a devastating day all around and it is a day that is just it's just a sad day it's a sour morbid, day morbid I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily morbid because, you know, as, as Jews, we, 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 we always hope for, for the future. So there is a big part of the day, uh, and to be honest, that does talk about the future. And the future is that of the rebuilding of the, the Holy Temple. You know, both temples were destroyed on the same day. Um, and this is not just from Jewish literature, historical literature. This is from, from non-Jewish sources as well. This is well known. I mean, the statistical chances that both temples would be destroyed hundreds of years apart on the same day in the calendar is, I I would say, mathematically an impossibility unless it was a miracle. And as Jews, we do believe it was a miracle, just not a good one. Um, And what was remaining is what we call today the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall. Uh, And to understand a little bit about Tisha B'Av, about the ninth of Av, we, you know, in the Jewish, in, 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 what, one of the names for the Western Wall, which I'm sure everybody knows of, is actually the Wailing Wall, a wall that we cry at because we, we hope for the, the future redemption of, of the Jewish people and the building of the Third Temple. And, and, and many Jews see the creation of the State of Israel and the unification of, of Jerusalem as these culminations, as these beginning points for the redemption of the Jewish people in, in, in the natural homeland. Of course. And. and what, what these organizations did is they decided that, well, since the Jews, they're on, on the 9th above, at the destruction of the temples, became refugees, if you might say, well, they were going to hijack this, rel- this religious day, this sad day, and they were going to turn it into an anti Trump rally day. Absolutely disgusting for people that believe in not culturally appropriating religions and societies. That's exactly what these people did. Exactly what they did.
0: But they, they've they've done this before. I think that they there was a time that they did a vigil for people in Gaza and said Kaddish, like they do take Judaism. But you know, appropriate all the time.
2: That I, I agree. But even that, you could say they're not culturally appropriating. They're they're saying Kaddish, the the, the prayer for the dead, you know, because they feel for these people. This was completely inappropriate. It was an absolute disgusting display of cultural appropriation because the Jews were not refugees after the destruction of the temple. Number one, they were slaughtered. They were absolutely slaughtered to where there were rivers, and this is from Josephus. This is not from Jewish works. Josephus says the roads of Jerusalem were drenched in blood. That you that that plants could not could not that, that, that the fields of Jerusalem outside Jerusalem uh, couldn't grow p- crops because of because of the amount of blood that was that was drenched into the soil. This was and if anyone that's been to Jerusalem you know that the hills of Jerusalem are actually green. It's not a desert over there. This is this is I mean some are some aren't but most of the Judean hills are green during the winter, and and it was it it, it is an absolute disgrace. They, 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 first of all, they're lying. You know, they're talking about some of these bills. You know, the, the new bill that's, you know, you have Mayor de Blasio in New York City saying um, this new rule that the president is enforcing where if you're on welfare, you can't get a green card. I'm sorry to tell everybody, Bill Clinton signed that bill in 1996. No one's been willing to, to, to actually enforce parts of it.
0: The bill is fair.
2: The bill is very fair, and it was signed by Bill Clinton.
0: Why should I not have health care but an illegal immigrant who comes here and goes to the emergency room can get his full medical well, and his pay.
2: Well that 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 is correct. That is hundred percent correct. Now that was a bill signed by Reagan and that was because they, they 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 had to do something. There was an influx again back then and that's when Ronald Reagan was promised they would close up the borders back then in the nineteen, mid eighties. Of course the Democrats lied. They said that they would pass immediate legislation to close the borders, they never did. Um, and it wasn't until you know the '90s that the Republicans controlled Congress, but then they had a Bill Clinton who refused to do any of that. But actually, one of the compromise bills that they passed was this bill, and no one's ever enforced it. Um, the enforcement mechanism, I think, came later. And then after 9/11, the enforcement mechanism, just I don't think anyone had the stomach for it. Um, uh, immigration was not something that we were seeing as a, as a big problem. It was more, it was more terrorism, and that's what was really you know, and then and then the Democrats took back control, and, and it's never been the same since. And now you have a president that is willing to just say, "I'm enforcing a law that was passed." Um, it's quite interesting. These Bender, R, Kasturi, I mean, I, I, I and others were trying to fight back uh, over social media. Um, it, it is something that needs to be taken care of in in in, in a communal way because the the, the world doesn't see. The Orthodox Jews and and those that that may agree with the president's stand, and, and even those in the conservative and the reform movements, um, and uh, you know, and some of the other smaller ones, Reconstructionist, and Continue, Continue. Um, these these they're mostly progressive though, and that if you know that you can read, there was a great book that was written by by you know a friend of Chesky's uh, on this topic and and how. Outside of the orthodox stream of Judaism, the other streams of Judaism were completely hijacked by what what they call the Kikun Olam groups. Um, And there's there's a book to save the world. It's a great book. Um, You should read it it. And it explains how the conservative reform and some of the other streams were hijacked by some of these progressive leaders to hijack Judaism and turn it into progressivism, and what you see with the culmination this past Sunday on the saddest day of the year was that they were—I mean, it was all throughout the country—a massive one in Washington D.C. right outside the White House. Now, you know, the president goes and looks outside the White House window and sees Jews protesting him, and 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 in his mind, he's got to be thinking, "I don't understand something. I am by far the the the." Most Israel phobic, you know, president would not be President Trump. The most Jewish phobic president would not be President Trump. He is by far the biggest um, philo Semite to ever be in the Oval Office. I, I, I you, there are, there cannot
0: be overstated.
2: Cannot be overstated. I mean, there are those, you read the writings of George Washington. George Washington obviously had a very, very huge affinity for the Jewish people. I mean, he didn't call them Jews back then. He called them um, the children of Abraham, the Abrahamic religion. Um, He had different uh, 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 titles that he gave Jews back then. He was clearly very close to the early uh, colonial Jewish community. Um, People are not sure why and how that happened. It may have to do with a lot of his... Support came from the very small Jewish community. we're talking about literally a handful of Jews that donated their entire wealth to the to the colonist cause and to the cause of freedom and liberty and uh, You saw this again in the civil war on both sides of the aisle, um, um, both in the north and the south where where the small pockets of Jews um, gave up their wealth for what they believed was their government and you see it today a lot as well. Uh, many Jews give to a lot of charity. But what what unfortunately you also see is the complete hijacking of 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 large streams of the Orthodox of 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 the Jewish community that have completely been hijacked and I, I really don't blame the people I, I blame the leaders the people are just doing what they've been taught that is Judaism they've been taught in their synagogues in their temples I mean that that's the greatest thing is that the
0: yes it's a failure of the leadership of those communities.
2: Yes, and, and what's amazing is is that some of the signs that were being flown, one of them was the Reform uh, Organization of America. I'm not really sure what it's called, the, the actual name of it. And what's amazing is is if, if you drive around Jewish communities, you'll see that in Orthodox communities, they're called synagogues, they're called uh, shuls, they're called Beit Knesset. There are terms that are used, and these terms go back all the way to the Second Temple. There were second temple synagogues that used these terms. Obviously not shul. Shul is a Yiddish term. But shul goes back about six, seven hundred years. What you never will see is temple, except in Reform Judaism. There are some Orthodox or conservative temples. But if you look at when they were created, they were created as Reform temples, and they either moved to conservative or Orthodox spectrums later on in their synagogue life. The term temple was used by Reform Judaism because they no longer believed that Jews they no longer believed in the eighteen hundreds, 171800s, late seventeen, early eighteen hundreds, that Jews would go back to Israel. They believed that Berlin was the new Jerusalem. They believed that the synagogue was the new temple. So it's funny that you have people hijacking a religious day that talks all about Jerusalem, about our love and our affinity for Jerusalem and the temple and our hopes and aspirations to go back to Jerusalem. And they use that as a day about closing a country's borders legally by law against a country that in its founding document, Mexico, has some of the most racist, xenophobic, parts of their constitution, they have – they shoot on sight people that are trespassing their borders without a hearing, by the way. The only, they actually have specific openings in their southern border to allow migrants to come through to go to the United States. But if you are found on any other part, their soldiers shoot you. Not like ours where we have our border crossings giving them water, Gatorade, helping them uh, 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 with babies carrying their babies up from the riverside, riverbeds. I mean, there are videos online and bringing them to these centers where they're taken care of. Yes, some of the parents are separated from their kids, but like you know, the head of of border patrol said when he was an M- when he was a cop in New York and there was a issue with a parent driving driving drunk, they separated that child from the parent. That's what happens when people commit crimes. These are crimes that are being committed in the United States. So. It was absolutely horrendous. It, it, it bothered a lot of much of the much of the Jewish community that was, you know, um, celebrating the solemn day of, of, of Tisha B'av, and 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 we actually think that an apology is both to the president and to the Jewish community that actually, you know, fasted on that day, prayed on 100%. that day, and 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 kept the day solemn. You know, it's it's very very sad that that these people think that they can do this, and. It really hurt. It really hurts that that a day could be hijacked like that. Um, also, over the weekend, and, and also very very sad, what's going on right now in China? Um, the Chinese the Chinese community in Hong Kong. For those that don't know, um, some of our listeners may be a little bit young. Hong Kong was an English protectorate up until 1999. It was a hundred year lease given given to uh, England by China, and in 1999, the Chinese government took over, retook over Hong Kong, and what they promised in the UN was one government, two peoples, and and when that when that happened, it was basically going to keep Hong Kong was obviously a capitalistic island, and China is a communist country, so so you had. What you have was up until this year, I guess the last 20 years, a more or less capitalistic structure in Hong Kong and socially very free. But in the last few years, it's become, it's become more and more socialist. And what you're seeing now is these young Hong Kong uh, nationals. Protesting in the street. I mean, it's it's in the shutting. I mean, it's a, it's absolutely amazing to watch. They're flying American flags. They're singing the American national anthem. They are they're 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 singing um, um, uh, songs from Les Misérables about freedom and liberty, which goes back to the French Revolution. Um, it's it's an absolute amazing amazing thing to watch. A, a island fight back against these Chinese socialist policies. And, and they're, I mean, they're being, they're being, they're not being killed yet in the streets. Um, you do have, you do have what, what, you know, extremely, extremely violent put downs where people's faces are literally being, being ripped apart on the, on pavement. So we were able to get today Dr. J. Michael Waller, a, a, one of the leading experts on, on China. And the politics of China. Um, He is he is um, the president of Georgetown Research, which is a political risk and private intelligence company in D.C. He is the vice president of uh, of the Center for the Center for for Security Policy. Um, He has a Ph.D. in International Security Affairs from Boston University. He was for thirteen years the Walter and Leonore Annenberg Professor of International Communications at the Institute of World Politics in Washington, D.C. He is the uh, author of many books on intelligence, political warfare, w- warfare public diplomacy, terrorism, and subversion. And um, he also designed and taught the world's only graduate program on public p- diplomacy and political warfare. He has 30 years of experience in, in, in defense, national security, and foreign policy development um outside of the federal government he is an entrepreneurial scholar practitioner with a phd in real world practice in defense security and foreign policy this is a guy who is at the forefront of knowing all of this stuff Jeez. so i am he he is when it comes to this stuff it's absolutely amazing uh, dr worler great to have you on great to be with you so tell tell us a little bit about what is if you could tell us a little bit about the history of Hong Kong and Japan and, 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 and how the governments, you know, under English rule and how that happened, how Hong Kong ended up under British rule and then, you know, what happened once it, the Chinese took over?
1: Oh, well, Hong, Hong Kong was part of China, obviously, and then the British, uh, during the height of their colonial uh, trading era, uh, took Hong Kong as their main port for for trade with China and trade with Asia. And, uh, and so it was the main outpost in the British Empire in China for, for centuries uh, for China trade. And then in 1999, well, when, when first in fort 1949 when the communists took over mainland China, the British would not let go of Hong Kong, so they kept it as their colony, uh, as a sovereign colony, but still part of the, the British Empire. And then in 1999, it was handed over to. Uh, the communist Chinese with the agreement that it would be, quote, um, two systems, one country, meaning it would be part of China, but it would be a democratic uh, British law-based system. And, of course, the communists have broken the deal on that, and the Hong Kong people are rebelling.
2: Wow. so So do you find that the age – what are the ages – of the peoples that are, that are, that are rebelling? Is this, is this being led by uh, the elite of Hong Kong, teenagers, youth? Who, who, who is this? Who, who are these groups made up of?
1: It's mostly uh, the college age and high school age kids and young professionals. The older people are not so active in the streets. Some are actually uh, uh, trying to tell the younger kids not to be so, so hot-headed, but it's, uh, it's, it's run by mainly young professionals and college age students. And but the uh, numbers—you've had a quarter of the population has shown up for some of these protests. Uh, That's unheard of in almost any country's history. So, so it's more than just that young sliver of the population that's part of the part of the rebellion against the communists.
0: Hong Kong has always been somewhat of like uh, detached from China, right, Michael? So yes. So, like, that, like, obviously is leading to that, that when China left, when was that that China left? Sometime in the 90s, if I recall, right? China. Oh, the British. The British right, left sorry, yeah, 1999. The
1: British, 1999, right 1999.
0: 1999. Right. So, when the British left, the British left it to the Chinese, have the Chinese who live in Hong Kong, have their lives significantly changed since?
1: Well, they have. The, first of all, it, it was a British legal system and a British-style political democracy there. So you had most of the rights in Hong Kong that you would have in Canada or Australia or the United Kingdom. And really a, pretty much all of all of those same rights. It was just an ethnic Chinese uh, majority and a, and a Chinese-speaking majority, but almost everybody spoke English, at least, especially among the professionals. So And so they were very... Uh, international-looking and very anti-communist, not in a reactionary sense, but in a pro-liberty sense. They just want to uh, keep the British-style freedoms that they'd always had for, for, for so many centuries. But now they're sovereign, or nearly sovereign, because they they could choose their own... Um, they, did, they didn't have, say, a governor-general who was appointed by the, the queen, for example, and they didn't have to answer to the British Parliament anymore. The problem was they had to answer to the Communist Chinese, so the the, the 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 top executive leadership of of Hong Kong is not elected by the people, it's elected by a, about a twelve hundred person committee that's loyal to Beijing, loyal to the Chinese Communist Party. And this is where the problem is because the executive of Hong Kong is trying to very 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 gradually impose communist rule, or, or elements of communist rule, over the Hong Kong people. So what triggered this set of protests this time was an extradition law, that if you were arrested for something in Hong Kong, you could be taken back to communist China and put on trial, even back if down? time didn't take place in, in communist like
0: China. Ma- like back to the mainland, so to speak, and be yes. thrown into some charge. Sounds
2: very, sounds very similar to what the English tried to do to the American colonials, colonials back back. In, in the 1760s.
1: Yes, that was actually triggering it to to put people on trial in London instead of allow them to be tried by their peers back home. Yeah, very much. Yeah, yeah. Yes, only this in this case, of course, you're dealing with the the uh, because it's, it's Hong Kong is attached to the mainland, so it's still. You can just drive troops across into Hong Kong and start repressing people, but here you have the the, the Communist Party coming in through infiltrators, infiltrating the protesters, infiltrating the protest movement, um, creating what look like provocations to make the movement seem more extreme, and then give the authorities a a, a made-for-video moment where they can come in and then start cracking heads and so, have some degree of reason for doing so.
2: So I, I so you basically have this like little island of of capitalism inside this huge sea of communism i don't i don't how the, the, what was the mar, what's the market structure in hong kong is it still was it still capitalistic meaning people can own things and and or or and like can chinese people go into hong kong and vice versa how does how does well, that work
1: yeah now it's called a, it's called a, well before you couldn't when it was a british colony uh, just because you were a Hong Kong citizen did not give you any rights into uh, Communist China and vice versa. Communist China, we mean People's Republic of China, the government right. that was created by Mao Zedong. And so, so now, though, since 1999, Hong Kong has been what's called the Hong Kong Administrative Region of China, of, of Communist China. So it's part of the People's Republic of China meaning one country so to speak but two systems you've got the communist system for the for the huge territory of the people's republic of china and then the the british style system that's unique to hong kong and only appears in hong kong that's what is now being taken away from the hong kong people
2: and but what's stopping what's stopping a regular person from let's say some other province from going into hong kong
1: they do have a they do have a uh, border Border checks, so so. For example, you can't simply uh, migrate into Hong Kong if you want to. You, there's a uh-huh. there's a protocol for becoming a resident there.
2: Uh uh-huh. And the resi- and the residents there basically work. It, it's it, I mean obviously it's slightly different, but it it's more or less like it was when the British were in charge, or it's a complete socialist country where the government tells them where to live, where to work. What yeah, to no, work. it's still
1: it's still it's still basically free. Uh, it's not to that point yet. The, 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 um, it's supposed to be permanently. Hong Kong ha- gets to choose its own destiny as long as it doesn't defend the Communist Party. Well, we know what that means. And, and the full transition isn't supposed to take place until the year 2045. So we've got another, what, 26 years to go. What Xi Jinping is doing now is he he's consolidating power still within the Communist Party He likes to make it look like he controls the whole party, but it's full of faction fighting and so forth. And he wants to uh, impose a real, much harder dictatorship on all of China, so he cannot allow something like Hong Kong to exist if it's going to get uppity like this and start protesting for freedom.
2: Why didn't England give them their freedom before 1999 happened? Well, I mean...
1: Hong Kong had its freedom as a British colony because it, was a, it had all the rights you'd have in any, you know, Anglophone democracy of, of, of the British Empire. Uh, it's just that it was a colony and not self-sovereign to Hong, the, the people of Hong Kong.
2: Right, now but why, it's, didn't, it, why it, didn't they give them their sovereignty? That way we don't have the problem. Yeah, well, because
1: the Communist Chinese were pushing Margaret Thatcher, and Margaret Thatcher caved... Uh huh. Uh-huh. What's the what's the? That was ten years before. That was in the late '80s during the Tiananmen Square period, and then there was a ten-year transition for the British to pull everything out of Hong Kong. So all their magistrates and all their their police and all the British bureaucrats who would who would uh, administer Hong Kong as a colonial entity, they were all pulled out over a ten-year period, and now it's they've been replaced by people loyal to the Chinese Communist Party. To run Hong Kong, but they can't impose uh, communist uh, system on Hong Kong because this, this Hong Kong would not survive if they did, and the, and the public wouldn't go for it, as we're seeing right now.
0: Where, do, where does Taiwan fit into all of this?
1: Well, Taiwan was it's it's the it's officially called the Republic of China on Taiwan. So Taiwan was is the island, also called Formosa, and when when the Chinese, pro-Western Chinese government that ruled China, so it was a three-way war in in China, say, during World War II, you had the, the nationalists of, of Chiang Kai-shek, friends of the United States, the Republic of China, fighting the Japanese occupation, occupation forces on one hand and fighting the communists of Mao Zedong on the other hand. The, the nationalists under Chiang Kai-shek, defeated the Japanese. They were part of the U.S. allies. They were part of the alliance. Um, then they they faced the communists, and then you had China break into a civil war of the pro-Western nationalists of Chiang Kai-shek versus the communists pro-Stalin, uh, Chinese Communist Party led by Mao Zedong. The... Um, the U.S. stopped supporting Chiang Kai-shek and China and so the Soviets continued supporting Mao after World War II and Mao and the communists threw the entire nationalist uh, forces uh, off the mainland. So the whole Chinese government of the Republic of China literally picked, packed everything up and fled to the island of Taiwan. So it's, they just moved the government of China to Taiwan and became the Republic of China. It was just located... Uh, on the island of Taiwan, kind of like in World War II, where the Polish government um, uh, under the under the Nazis, the the uh, the nationalist Polish government moved to London as an exile government, but it was still the elected or, or, or legitimate government of Poland. So, so similar ta- thing for China. So, like
0: the Taiwan government right now would be like is um, like descendants of the. Of the, of the Chinese empires that like existed thousands of years ago like do they look at themselves like the spiritual successors of those of those um, regimes
1: no it's more there was the Chinese Republic that was created about a little over a hundred years ago when the Chinese Empire was finally fell apart and collapsed so Sun Yat-sen established the Republic of China in China so that ruled from around 1912 all the way up to 1949, and then they got forced out of China, and and they just relocated to Taiwan. And so the United States recognized that as the legitimate government of China until uh, Nixon reached out to Mao and said, hey, let's work together against the Soviets. And so the United States de-recognized Taiwan and recognized communist China as the one and only legitimate government of China. But Taiwan exists as a... Taiwan is a sovereign uh, country. Uh, some countries still recognize it as the legitimate government of China, only a, only a small handful of very small countries, but they still recognize it as a legitimate Chinese government. But communist China won't allow other countries to recognize Taiwan if they want to, do, if they want to have diplomatic relations with Beijing. So they say you have to choose Taiwan or us.
0: Which is like why the U.S. technically, although an unofficial ally of Taiwan, does not have any diplomatic relations with them.
1: Right. So, so Taiwan here has a trade mission in Washington instead of an embassy, and and then we have a trade mission in, in Taipei, Taiwan. A lot of but countries don't we do, have trade don't missions. We do,
2: to don't we do naval? Don't we do naval and and military, um, like, pro, um, uh. Like tests with Taiwan, though.
1: Yes, yeah, maneuvers or operations. Yes, we do. We do, and to keep to keep the Taiwan Straits free and so forth. And of course, the, the Communists in Beijing got very upset with this. But luckily, every American president has said, "Too bad, we're still going to do it. It's just a matter of policy for us now." So we still do, and we just we're selling Taiwan uh, a fleet of F-16s.
2: So, in other words, Taiwan as a, as a is like Israel. They're not an official ally, but we do a lot together.
1: Yes, but we recognize Israel as a sovereign state. We don't recognize Taiwan <laughs> right. as a sovereign state. Yes. Let me ask you a question, Dr. But, Waller. But, you know, it's kind of funny because we did not, for, for decades, did not recognize Jerusalem as the capital. Uh, right. Now we fully do. So there's kind of a relationship there, if you, if you think about uh, it. The, uh, I'm sure,
2: I don't know if a lot of our listeners know, Israel is actually not legally an ally of the United States. They have a memorandum we, yeah, of understanding.
1: We, yeah, we have no defense treaty with Israel.
2: Correct. We have no treaty at all with Israel. We have a, a memorandum of understanding because Israel won't sign the Non-Proliferation Act.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: From what I understand... That, I, well, I,
1: that's not the only reason. I'm sure there are other right. reasons, too. But, right. But, but it works. That's the
2: excuse that's given.
1: Yeah, but it's not like NATO, where if, if if the Russians were to attack, you know, Poland, we we would have to we would have right. to respond militarily. If 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 the uh, you know the Iranians attack Israel, we're under no obligation by treaty to respond. But we would have such a special relationship with Israel that it doesn't ma- a treaty doesn't matter. We're going to do it anyway, uh, right. unless you have say an Obama who's president, then you'd probably you'd probably you side with though, the Iranians. Do
0: you think that like you think that if Iran attacked Israel, the
2: U.S. would respond? Oh, sure. Do you think the U.S. would respond, or they would just allow Israel to completely retaliate and they would hold back the Arab countries from stopping Israel?
1: Well, that remains to be seen, doesn't it? I think under this president, you'd get a strong response. Under another president, you get a maybe look the other way while Israel does things on its own, or provide Israel with intelligence or whatever. It would vary from president to president because there's no legal obligation to put a treaty in force.
2: So I, I would think that uh, that a, so someone like President Trump would actually would actually promote Israel retaliating on its own because of America First, not wanting American troops to be in harm's way. Just let Israel turn Iran back into the Stone Age. All on their own, and and then hold back. I think, I think Israel would, Jordan, would do <laughs> and Iraq, and yeah, yeah. Well, and that
1: that remain, that obviously remains to be seen. But I think uh, we can all be assured that Israel would do a better job on Iran than, than the United States would. So well, it
0: happens to me that was a big criticism that my grandfather actually had during the bu- um, Bush one um, that when Iraq was sending missiles, um, lobbing missiles, the Scuds actually. Um, into Israel the the bush administration uh, um, actually demanded that Israel would not retaliate i have a very I, and and he that was the
2: condition that was the condition for them to have the uh, missiles
0: right the patriot the, missiles that patriot they brought missile. in that were for defense right interestingly my grandfather was obviously very critical of it because he felt like it would make, it weakened israel thus really weakening american interests in the region long term and he wrote several articles about it. I don't know if I sent them to you, Dr. Waller, in the past. I will, but either way, Great. Um, it's a very interesting thing, like how, and this is something that you probably know more than most people, um, how we just happen to like be experts at like shooting ourselves in the foot um, and hurting our allies for the sake of placating our enemies. You know, like there's that...
1: There's yeah. The,
0: there's that old saying. I forgot who it was. You could probably tell me it is. They they might be they might be SOBs, but there are SOBs, you know. But at the same time, it sometimes comes at the expense of other allies who are critical to our survival and to our interests in various regions.
1: Right, and it also comes to um, uh, it's a it's a very economics based decision because you know Bush won. George H. W. Bush had no real political philosophy except be mainstream and make money uh with with anybody at any costs, and, and really don't believe in anything out of principle so if you look at at bush one his policy toward israel was pretty close to his policy toward taiwan he loved communist china he had been ambassador there he thought he knew a lot about it he uh he opened up relations um, in the, under Nixon or Ford in the in the 70s, and so he really had it. He and the sort of the Henry Kissinger faction of the uh, national security community sold out Taiwan and they – would have sold out Israel if they could have because they they saw more money to be made with the Arabs and the Iranians and, and the communist Chinese than with uh, Israel and Taiwan. So there are a lot of, you'll find in American politics and strategic thinking the most pro-Israel people also tend to be the most pro-Taiwanese people.
0: It's so fascinating to me how um, you mentioned how Bush was truly enamored with the Chinese. I find that um, a lot of people in our country are enamored with the Chinese. I mean, I, I, I read um, Bloomberg Business pretty religiously and Fortune Magazine. Just because as an entrepreneur, you have to like have some sort of idea of what's going on in the business world, no matter how biased it is against the president. But at the same time, you just see how they're totally enamored with China. It's truly, like, frightening.
1: Right, and they, and they, they have to... They don't have to, but they feel like they have to openly act enamored and heap praise on the communist government and the wonderful, wonderful, different model of development that it's providing to show that you can every country can choose its own path, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You uh, the, the president the, does the, the same
2: the... thing. Well, why does the president do that? You think it's our sort current of smile president? Yeah, President Trump even like today tweeted like, "Yeah, I hope it goes good for all sides." Like he's. He does this weird thing where he, like, dances around Chinese but then, like, bashes them when it comes to trade policies and, 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 and like, he destroys them when they – you know, on liberty. But then when someone asks him a question, he goes, yeah, I love the president. We send, you know, googly messages to each other. It's like the weirdest it's, yeah, I don't know I don't know what to make of it. I think
1: uh, and I'm guessing it's sort of a to keep sort of, them on their toes. Uh, my, my office I'm talking to, I'm two blocks away from the White House right now, so I, I kind of have a kind of a little bit of a sense of certain ways of thinking, but you have a you have a trade oriented, economics oriented knife fighter in this president, but he's a non-interventionist when it comes to uh the 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 internal affairs of other countries or regions. So to the extent it affects us in trade, he's going to be pretty rough. Uh, to the extent that it's people fighting for their own freedom, he kind of doesn't care.
2: But do you think Do you think that there's also some issue, and I'm not saying he's playing this 4D chess, but I think that he brings this this idea from the business world that when you're negotiating, you need to keep your negotiating partner on their toes, not having any idea where you stand. That's... Your strongest, your strongest position is to make sure that your your opponent, your, your your opponent, doesn't under, doesn't know where you're coming from. The second they see your hand, they know your play. So if he does this two dance with them, this two step with them, where on one hand he's saying, yeah, I, the president and me get along great, and then on the other hand he goes, they're ripping us both blind, and I'm jacking up tariffs 300 percent. ...on this item and 25% on that item, and then the next day they're like, yeah, well, there are protests, so I hope it works out for everybody and liberty really comes out on top. And then the next day you say, well, you know, China's been been beating us badly, so now we're going to jack up now on that on that item. It, the, the Chinese version of the CIA there has got to be going, we can't read this guy. We have no idea what this guy's going to do next.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. And also on, on it's culturally... Uh, both both Chinese culture, but especially Communist Party culture. They have to have everything pre-planned. They, they can't move. They're not as agile as, say, tr- nobody's as agile as Trump is politically, but, I mean, they can't handle this agility and unpredictability. They need to plan ahead, and nobody wants to take the fall for for creating a policy or responding to a policy and they can't predict what it's going to be so they like predictability they like this way of, of being able to to know in advance what the American position is going to be so just as you said Trump is just throwing things at them from opposite directions and they don't know what to do they're kind of like I don't know what to do either watching him because he'll say something and I'm so disappointed in what he's saying and then he'll do something and I'll be thrilled with it but he doesn't always I mean, like say even, what he
2: he does. I mean, I know this is a side issue, but like even with the red flag ban, the the red flag law, like he he says that he's all for it, but then with with Cuomo, he tweets out the video of Cuomo threatening the guy and goes, you know, with the red flag law, you would lose your what your firearm, like, and that's a very anti red. He's sort of saying like, you see, this is the reason why red flag laws are are dumb. He like doesn't. It's very strange. It is, but let's look
1: back on the, on the China thing because what you raised a good point there about this tweet. He said, he in in one single tweet he put China in an impossible situation. We hope China wins, and we hope Liberty wins.
2: Yeah, I saw it, it was a diametric. Or words to that effect. Uh, so he's almost said if, if if and the Chinese read into a lot of this stuff, even though I really don't think they should read into Trump, but you would almost think that they were actually saying like when he's saying government, he means Taiwan. I mean, you can you can make that theory that the only government that 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 likes liberty is the Taiwanese government, not the People's Republic of China.
1: Right, but he's also saying China as Chinese people, uh, Chinese culture, Chinese nation. What, what is he saying? He hopes China wins and liberty wins. Well, if China wins and liberty wins, there's no more Chinese Communist Party.
2: Right. It was it's so probably was what he wants Congress though. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but is he But is he sending a signal like that, or was it a whim? I mean, here are the three of us discussing it right now. We don't even know, right? So think of what the communists are thinking in the middle of all of this. He said liberty. That's a terrible thing to be telling the communists, right? And it's a great thing to be telling the Hong Kongers and all the other people who want freedom in China.
0: Can we see Hong Kong becoming part of Taiwan?
1: No, there's really no... Uh, <laughs> it's it's physically not possible and plus the Taiwan government is is stuck you've got a very left wing government right right now in Taiwan that strangely is tough on the communists and you have the old nationalist party which was the anti-communist movement that that created the Chinese government on Taiwan and they've been totally co-opted by the Chinese communist party what the communists in China did instead of fight Taiwan they said let's just swallow them and the Taiwanese government leadership. you're
0: saying is 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 actually co opted by the communists.
1: Yeah, yeah, the, yes. The uh, the present Taiwanese government under President Tsai, it's a it's a pretty. If it was an American political party government, it would be pretty Obama like. But they know that their their existence is threatened by the mainland by the communists. And, the, and President Tsai, she's not simply a relative or descendant of a mainland Chinese transplant. She's all, part, of, part of her ancestry is uh, indigenous to the island of Taiwan, so it's a different ethnic group entirely. So she has a unique Taiwanese identity and not simply a Chinese identity. She has both. But the thing is, the, the Nationalist Party, which was the, which was the anti-communist party, uh, has been completely co-opted by the communists. Mainly with business deals. Right. It's really it's really shameful. We had worked with them. They're, they're called the KMT. KMT is the abbreviation. We'd worked with them for decades, and now they're not even interested in defending Taiwan's sovereignty. For all practical purposes, they're kind of happy with this uh, this, uh, this 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 peace they've made with with the communists to be swallowed slowly. And you have a left so wing where does that leave the,
0: So where does that leave the people of Hong Kong? Uh, it leaves state.
1: them pretty much by themselves no they can't be independent because there's no treaty that, that uh, I mean I suppose somebody could declare Hong Kong to be independent but the can they electoral declare themselves system, to
0: be independent
1: yeah but they'd have to overthrow their own government first which I think would be great I think it would be super <laughs> But, so, but so wait, you're think... saying that
2: Taiwan is eventually going to be swallowed up by the Ch- communist China
1: uh, that's what the that 's what the communists are planning to do they have a they have a
2: uh, one the, uh, we have a plan. one
1: country policy toward china, so we don't recognize two chinas we recognize only one with the idea be it was vague for u.s. diplomacy maybe someday the nationalist government will return to beijing to run china or maybe the communists will take over china we really don't know so we're not going to say we're just supporting the one china policy that's the official uh u.s. diplomatic line for the past you know 50 almost 50 years the um, the uh but but some there there is an independence movement in Hong Kong that says let's just get rid of this fiction that we're part of mainland China and let's declare ourselves a complete sovereign country. There's a movement like that in what these Taiwan. Kids
2: want. I mean, these kids are, are are singing the American national anthem. They're they're flying the American flag. They're yeah. singing they're singing Les yeah. I mean, they clear these young yeah. people really don't want to be part of communist China.
1: No, it's like it's like Tiananmen Square in way back in 1989. Uh, you know it's it, it where they had that that goddess of democracy, but she looks kind of like a chinese statue of liberty it was a, it, right. it was a it was intentionally designed that way, so they have this uh this this desire it's just they they're having less and less uh fewer and fewer um uh, freedoms to to express it. So with this that's the problem with this new extradition law. It's not like you're a you're a bank robber and you're robbed a bank in China and you're hiding out in Taiwan in, in in Hong Kong and so the Chinese say to Hong Kong, "Hey, will you please extradite this person back so he can stand trial in in Beijing?" It's not like that. It's it's this person has said something against the Chinese Communist Party. We want to extradite him to Beijing to stand trial where they've got a 99 plus percent conviction rate.
2: Now this is this is all happening on the Hong Kong mainland part or on the island part.
1: All of Hong Kong. It's, it's, so these, uh,
2: these are happening all over the the minor islands. These protests everywhere.
1: Yeah, the main protests are in the business center and the airport. Uh-huh. Business center, government center, now, and airport, because you've got residential areas and so forth that are not.
2: So, so Hong Kong not, uh, 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 goes all the way. The Hong Kong area that that is it's the, 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 the that's supposed to be more capitalistic goes all the way to Shenzhen, or it or it or it stops it, before that.
1: It borders Shenzhen Province.
2: Uh, so it's that little it's that little like like triangular peninsula that comes off the edge of China.
1: Uh, let's see. Well. Yeah, I mean it's all let's say all of Hong Kong is 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 Hong Kong. So you've got you've got the border. It's really a river border with the mainland, and then you have islands on the south. The international airport is on an island. So so you've got the the, for for people listening and who can't see, uh, Hong Kong is like a, a peninsula. Right. Kind of, it's sort of a football-shaped peninsula with harbors in it that's attached at the top to the mainland of China, and there are big the uh, bodies of water on either side. And then, so to the to the south of that are are a set of large and small islands. So you've got some big big areas on yeah. there, big residential areas, and then the airport.
2: It's connected all by bridges. Mostly. right. Yeah. You have Lantau, Hong Kong, and and, and Sei Kung, or the, I'm sorry, and Kai Sei Chow. Are the big islands, and you have a bunch of little ones like Llama Island and Singi. I'm just looking at right. a map. I don't know this, but but uh, but but right. you have you have a Disneyland resort there. I mean, it's not this is it's not like I mean, this it's,
1: is it's like only it's only like 30 miles long. No, oh, no, yeah. it's it's a it's a super super first world country in every way.
2: Right. I mean, it looks like it looks like downtown Manhattan. They the right. of the business sector.
1: Yeah, it's just that all the buildings are newer. And the right. infrastructure is newer. You have your old part of town, old Kowloon, and the old, uh, the old British-dominated part, and the old trading part, but sort of a historic area. You've got some um, poor areas, sort of yeah, but it's like you know old working-class Manhattan-type uh, places. Uh, but you you have a, the, a lot of brand new architecture and a ton of money from the mainland. A lot of the a lot of the communist uh, uh, business types from the mainland. Actually invest in Taiwan because they don't trust the regime back in on the mainland to uh, not steal their money from them. So they keep it in Taiwan and they own. So they own in, in Hong Kong rather. So they've built a lot of those skyscrapers and other uh, very extravagant infrastructures.
2: So members of the Communist Party are allowed to buy property in in Hong Kong. Yes. Interesting. And there's
1: a lot of mainland tourism into Hong Kong because they can see stuff that they even though there is a lot of modernization on the mainland and there's plenty to see it do on the mainland now there's there's a whole different vibe in Hong Kong it's a whole it's a free vibe it's it's freedom it's
2: so what do you think is going to happen from all these protests in the end what do you see happening
1: I don't see how the Chinese Communist Party can survive if it allows Hong Kong to get away with continuing these protests the protests have to be put down one way or another how do you say that, though? Like, well, I don't, I, I don't like it. I'm just saying that. It's, it's, no, no, it's no, no. From, no a, I mean, from a communist, no, no. Perspective. I mean, like,
0: I, I mean, like, from a communist perspective, a little, like, I'm saying, look at Venezuela, right? The protests were not able to, were not able to um, unseat Maduro. So why would this be any different?
1: Because this, this. Hong Kong will always be there as an example to the rest of China. This is how great a society we can have.
0: Uh,
1: Venezuela people are demoralized. Hong Kong people are psyched. Drawing those parallels is actually a a great parallel because you've got Venezuela was a really rich country. And a very modern country and and the wealthiest country in all of Latin America, but they were beaten down for twenty years of self imposed socialism more than twenty years. They voted for it right uh, you know you don't hear of any Venezuelan patriots after bolivar who you know died almost 200 years ago right you don't have them you know and, and even bolivar didn't fight for himself he got other other people to help fight so they don't have this 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 history of fighting for themselves and fighting for their rights well the, Span- for their, the spanish
2: their really the spanish really never did the spanish always hired mercenaries going all the way back the spanish were notorious for, for hiring mercenaries
1: yeah, you didn't have, you had a couple exceptions in Latin America, but most of them, you're right, were no, I'm it wasn't about Spain, like the people they get, they get fighting it, for their own...
2: But I'm talking about even Spain. Huh? The, king, the, the, king of, the king and queen of Spain used to hire oh, mercenaries. Sure. That, sure. that was their thing. Uh, they never liked, because the Spanish people, the, the, I'm talking, when I say Spanish, I don't mean Latin American, I mean from Spain, never liked right. fighting wars. They always hired German mercenaries and, and French mercenaries. They would hire mercenaries. To go to war for them because they didn't think they thought it was above them. They probably just brought that culture with them to, to Latin America.
1: Yeah, well, that's a that's a big long. I lived a long time in Latin America, so I've got yeah. But it's it's meaning it's it's not a culture where you fight for what's right and you fight for your freedom, and the people will fight for their own their own. Um, it's not like the kind of monarch that people are going to fight for voluntarily monarchy historically in Spain they, right. the people were forced to fight for it and I mean, then those who who couldn't be forced to they were they, they would hire foreign mercenaries would be hired out even Christopher Columbus you know he he was italian uh, right. he, he went around to all the different monarchies around Europe to, to get funds to sail for uh, for a short route to India and the Spanish hired him to go out and do it.
2: It's 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 the truth is I mean and a lot of it may I, I don't you know disparage your whole religion here but the, the Catholic religion in and of itself never really fought back the Protestants did and Jews did you the only revolts against governments that you ever truly see. Are Protestant governments, Protestant peoples, and the and the Jewish people? I mean, the Jewish goes all the way back to the the, the Great Jewish Revolt, back back to to to, to Rome, predating Christianity. But but you yeah, really I think
0: that's because it, I, I'm not a Christian, obviously, but because I think that the the historically the reason is is because the church had aligned itself with the monarchs, and like as being with the monarchy was a was um, ordained by God, it gave the church the ability to control the monarchy. So the the church essentially was not put at risk because that it controlled the kings.
1: Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's reasonable. I, I'm a Catholic, so I'm, I'm, I've got a. Uh, you had the, the doctrine of divine right of kings. So kings right. ruled because it was God's will. Therefore, to oppose the king was to oppose God, which is a great doctrine to have if you're the king. right? And, but the kings were... They got their legitimacy from the bishop or the pope, and this led to Henry the VIII's split with... Rome right. and with the Pope well, Jews, and creating the Church of Jews England because
2: same, yeah. right, Jews have the yeah, same, Jews same had same. The, had we, to, we just we just didn't seem to care much. <laughs> we <laughs> just seemed to go, well, God may have made you the king, but we don't like you anymore, so we're just gonna get that guy now. You had you know, the king yeah, so, of Israel. So, so, they were no, I also think constantly.
0: the reason why the monarchy was not successful in Israel is because that there was constantly um there was a lack of Infighting. unity in the Jewish community was it was I mean it's brought out through scripture how there what it was just jointed I mean they had the kingdom of Israel and you had the kingdom of Judea and that in itself created instability
2: and even in those two kingdoms you had instability you had you had some at some point multiple kings of Israel and multiple kings of Judea yes yeah. simultaneously yeah. so it was it was well, a very- and,
1: and and now multiple governments of china to get back on today's topic because Correct. you have the taiwanese government which is which is the old republic of china from 1912 approximately onwards continuous rule it's just they, they changed change locations and then and then the um, the communist government of china and then hong kong which is now formally officially globally recognized as part of the people's republic of china but it's still a very different china it's right. China with Brit, with generally do British China, laws.
2: Do, do the Chinese have in their culture fighting against government? I mean, it seems that they 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 had their their, you know, the the Chinese people have had their. I mean, first of all, the country is huge. I don't think people are are aware of the size of of China. Um, it's it's slightly smaller than Russia, I think, right? Very slightly. Yeah, it's it's quite a bit smaller uh,
1: in right. in terms of geographic size.
2: Yeah, but, but
1: it's it's got you know four times the population of the United States.
2: Right, and and they but they had like empires for hundreds upon hundreds, if not thousands, of years, and never. I mean, once in a while, I remember learning Chinese, you know, history. It was like they're, they're, these kingdoms would last like forever. And the people right. who would just continuously live like that,
1: right? Dynasties,
2: Dyn- right? So, Dyn- so, so dynasties they,
1: lasting centuries.
2: Yeah. So do they have it in them to actually hold fight this off, or is this going to be put down? It's going to be another Tiananmen Square, and that's going to be end of it for another thirty years.
1: No, I think you have it. Uh, if you look, they had a they had a uh, uh, Chinese Republic revolt uh, in the early part of the twentieth century you had uh you had various rebellions against british rule you had uh, you know strong rebellions against um resistance against japanese invaders but these were foreigners you didn't have, you had more right. subservience to the to the emperors or the or the ruling elites uh you had more subservience and there was a sort of a divine equivalence to most of these dynasties as well where you could not attack the divine or something that was that was was believed to be protected by the divine or was ruled as as willed by the divine so you're content to be in your place uh, this is a gross simplification but basically you're content to be in your place because that's why you were put on earth to be in this place and to do whatever it was you're doing in in your rice paddy or whether you're you're a soldier or 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 a senior official with the empire but it had divided itself up so much and become so weakened by the by the uh late 18, by the 1700s where the british came in and the dutch came in and the portuguese and others and they developed their own colonies there and and took over and then they they played off Um, different Chinese factions against one another. So China itself was very weak. But then when the nationalists took over and and proclaimed a republic, they'd overthrew that old system, both the imperial system and much of the colonial system, leaving only tiny colonial outposts like Hong Kong or Macau or some of these other very small foreign um, Mm -hmm. colonial outposts that But it made sense to allow those outposts to stay. It made economic sense because those were the established trading centers. Mm -hmm. And then you had the the fighting, uh, huge resistance to the Japanese in World War II. Notably, though, the Communists did not fight the Japanese in World War II to any degree. They were fighting those fellow Chinese who were fighting the Japanese. Uh, They wanted to, they were using the Japanese, they were using the fact that the Japanese were fighting the nationalists. To help destroy the nationalists, so that the communists could take power, which is precisely what happened. Wow! Wow! Well, <laughs> and think of now how how Tiananmen Square is such an icon. So many years later, fortieth you know fortieth anniversary right. this year. This is a, this is a really iconic moment. So just forty years after Tiananmen, where you have uh, this huge democracy protest going on. Now, all across Hong Kong, and how, how it's leaping into China at the same time years, on the opposite years, side of China.
2: 30 years, 40, 89 40, to now.
1: 40, 89? I don't know my math. 39. Yeah, 30. 30. okay. There you go, yeah. 30. Thank you. Not a mathematician. <laughs> yeah. So, so they've, got, they've got, but a long time, like a generation later, and it's yeah, still so very strong. And you still cannot have images in China of the goddess of democracy or that man standing in front of the tank. But right. think about that one Chinese man standing in front of the tank and challenging the tank that way all by himself. That's part of the Chinese character that to stand up to injustice, but most of China doesn't have the courage he has, but they do admire the courage he has. That, that trait has now moved into Hong Kong, and what are you seeing now? You're seeing these young people outwitting this entire electronic surveillance state that actually Facebook helped build, you know, with the facial recognition system right. developed in California for the Chinese military and secret police. And that stuff, that stuff is operational in Hong Kong, and these people find found ways to foil those technologies and right. to root out agents in their midst. And you notice they don't have any leader. It's They're a leaderless, leaderless movement. Right. I mean, and obviously there are leaders within the movement, but no one is seeking to be the leader. And that's also a very... Um, a strong chinese trait where they 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 can they can move uh, without necessarily having a leader like mao or shan kai shek or something like that where you know most uh, most uh, political movements in the rest of the world have some kind of a charismatic leadership and this is all being done in a very new and different way so if the president is out there uh, delighting us on his trade talk with china and maybe disappointing us on certain things about about hong kong let's look at what he's saying to put the communists in an impossible box, which is,
2: yeah. I mean, he, I he want just China and liberty to succeed. Just a few hours yeah. ago, he said, as usual, China said they were going to be buying big from our great American farmers. So so, so far, they have not done what they said. Maybe this will be different. And not a few hours later, he, write, he tweets, our intelligence has informed us that the Chinese government is moving troops to the border with Hong Kong. Everyone should be calm and safe. So he's like, he, he's definitely keeping them on his toes. And uh, we'll see we'll see how this goes. We'll see how this, you know, this plays out. I'm sure this is gonna play out in the next week or two. Um unless the Chinese Michael, government do goes we have out. Any
0: more, do we have any more time with you? I have a couple other questions.
2: Yeah. What do you have?
0: Um Nahum and I want to know how do we join the CIA? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love you, Sasky. That was great. Well,
1: um question is <laughs> I'd like to work where people want me there. Uh, they would hate you in there. They would couldn't stand you, and and uh, which is all the reason why people like you should be joining.
2: I'm just curious. Is it is it worse or better than the State Department?
1: It's like the State Department hiding behind secret squirrel stuff. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. I mean, not to put him down totally because we need – well, we need the State Department too, but we need the CIA – uh, but l- let's have them put American na- vital national interests first, and not say the rainbow flag or the Muslim Brotherhood.
2: Right, but I'm just curious. Like, do they, like, the State Department hates Israel? Does the CIA hate Israel?
1: Well, no. See, we, we've given up as a nation. Um, our intelligence is essentially given up on having human sources. On relying on human sources of intelligence. Of course, we still we still have human sources, but we've relied so much on technology to, for our intelligence collection that we rely on other countries to provide to provide us with intelligence derived from human sources. And of course, no one's better than that than the Israelis. Mm-hmm. And so, so, so the the Israeli services are a vital partner of the United States in in going after common enemies. And and so the the uh, you'll find much better relations between the CIA and Israel than you will between the State Department and Israel.
2: Interesting, interesting. CIA needs good people. They,
1: they just because uh, they're they're full of lefties, but they but they they like to say that they accept anybody. They really do discriminate on political views. Uh, but I would say you know please, all good people should be enlisting just like the military. Mm-hmm. You had another question, Hesky.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 um, I was actually told that the CIA and the FBI are both biased against Orthodox Jews. I don't know if it's true or not, but I was told by several friends of mine who've actually tried to get in, they could that they they weren't able to get in. So it's um, so it's interesting. I'm not really sure where that all plays out. But another question for you, Dr. Waller.
1: Well, you know, there's, there, there's, a, there's a key um, – uh, there's, there, there's, there's an issue there that's a practical matter. Let's say you're trying to run an intelligence service, and you're going to need people on duty seven days a week at times. So people who's, whose religious convictions don't permit that aren't going to be the right fit, or at least that's going to be the perception. Um, in the Catholic Church, we would say you'd get a special dispensation because your country needs you or whatever else, but I mean, so I don't know, I don't know the Orthodox Jewish customs on those things, but I do know that that has been an issue in the past. Right. It makes
0: sense. Um, here's, here's a toughie one. You ready for a toughie? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Okay. You, you have a background, um, in policy and doing a lot of cool stuff. Um, and some of the things we know you did, we're not going to talk about it because it's way too classified, and we're going to keep it quiet unless you want to volunteer the information. One of the things that everybody's talking about right now in the Jewish community is Jonathan Pollard. Yes. Go. You have five seconds. I'm joking. Oh <laughs> man, I
1: got to talk. I've got
0: to.
1: I'm to talk on J Tribe Radio about Jonathan Pollard and say what I really think. Okay, here goes. If you have me back.
0: Um, well, we have your Jonathan back. Pollard.
1: <laughs> well, look, Jonathan Pollard, from an American perspective, he spied against the United States for another country.
2: And which he, which he openly was... admits to. He openly admits to it. Right.
1: Okay. Right. So a spy is a spy. right? So, so he violated the terms of his oath of office, so to speak, the terms of his contract, whatever it was, uh, the, the terms of the deal he had for employment for himself, and he betrayed all of his colleagues, and he betrayed his country. So some people, his supporters, will say, well, he did it for a higher cause, or he did it because the United States was sticking it to Israel. That doesn't matter. What matters is he betrayed his country, the U.S. Now, therefore, you've got to pay the price that a spy is going to pay. Then there gets to, to the extenuating circumstances. Yeah, but he wasn't spying for the Chinese or the Soviets or something else. He was spying for an ally, and, of course, our allies spy on us. All the time, because every, especially Israel, because it has an ex- existential threat every day, so it has to be collecting things. Especially when the United States won't always be cooperative in sharing.
2: Especially at right, that the, time. The, the, I mean, they say the data that he actually gave was something that, under agreement, Israel was supposed to have, anyways. Which is also right, another... but you've got to
1: do it through it. You've got to do it right. through no, 100%, you can't 100%, 100%, steal it. One hundred percent. it. Yeah, yeah. So well, he off, we, brought an in,
0: we brought an intelligence guy on here. We have to hear the truth.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, it's, it's my own take on it. And so so to me, if you spy and you, and you betray your country and, and you, you, then then you've got to pay the price for it, whatever the law says. Now, is that always the case? Well, you know we make spy swaps, right? We trade uh, people who have, have, have Russian spies. We arrest them here and we'll make a swap as Obama did in 2010. was a terrible swap but it was still a swap so so you can let people go and go back to quote their native country if pollard was was indeed a u.s citizen and not a dual national or not an israeli citizen but obviously he viewed he viewed an obligation to israel that conflicted with his obligation to the united states but you can you can work out some kind of a swap or some kind of a trade or even say hey hey israel we'll give you a pollard back if you give us Something else, you know, something. So you can work that out, and that stuff happens. You know, that that's not an uncommon kind of deal to make. Right now, what this is what Casper Weinberger, he was Reagan's Secretary of Defense at the time, and he had argued his argument. Well, no no one knows
2: what he argued. It was a secret memorandum.
1: Well. I, I I know what he argued, and I, I know in general what he argued.
2: Uh-huh. And he
1: argued that Israel, for its own purposes, needed to make similar deals with the Soviets to get some of the Soviet allies off Israel's back, or to find some countermeasure against the Soviets. I don't know the the details of the memorandum or, or the or the uh, or the Israeli the alleged Israeli agreement, but what I know from from what I understand from the Weinberger uh, memorandum was that Pollard was essentially acting, whether he knew it or not, as a Soviet spy because, according to Weinberger, some of the material, that's highly de- sensitive that's material. Debu-
2: it's supposedly been completely well, debunked.
1: Well, we don't Reimler know it was wrong. Well, we, th- I'm just saying this was his right. take on it. So, right, but therefore. therefore the, the,
2: Therefore, you? you might
1: be spying right. for an ally, but if your ally, if your belief is that your ally is then passing it on to the Soviets for its own reasons of survival, therefore, Pollard was essentially acting as a Soviet spy, whether he intended to or not, which means his punishment had to be especially merciless under u s law, and that's why you had that very, very, very tough position against Pollard. We won 't know until all of this is declassified, but think of it though. It makes sense because look at all of Israel's neighbors practically were Soviet-backed at one point or another, and were flirting, even if they were were dependent on the U.S., they were flirting with the Soviets in one way or another, and especially you know, Syria and Iran and, and some others. So it, it makes sense for Israel, for its own purposes, to say, hey, what kind of deal can we make with Moscow to say, get certain, get the diplomatic codes for the Iranian regime, right, or get Something that the Soviets might have that the Israelis needed for its own survival.
2: Right, but I the, think a the, lot of what was blamed on, on 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 Pollard was actually was 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 Ames was was Alger Ames was was. I mean, <laughs> oh, I was like, you know what? I, I think I think they're still
1: at large. I think those two uh, Pollard and Ames. We're only we know their names because so few have been arrested.
0: I want to but interject but by the way. There's no way it's only that
1: small number. There's a lot out there who have not been arrested.
0: I want to add a caveat to this. People don't know this, and this is like something that was actually exposed in Israeli media recently. The Israelis have not really been so good about Pollard either, and in fact, I think I cannot remember who it was. Like this head spy who was Pollard's handler. Yeah. He actually had the ability to get him into the embassy and to... Rem- and he, was to embassy. he was in he, the no, embassy.
2: He was in the I mean, he
0: was in the embassy, but he wasn't allowed into the compound. He was parked in the... Like, he was in the embassy, but he wasn't allowed into the building.
2: Was, and yeah, he basically... Rafi Eitan.
0: Yeah, Rafi, Rafi Eitan Eitan. sent him away. And he even said in an interview before he died, which he died now, so now, like, once somebody died, it's okay to dump all over them. <laughs> 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 but... Um, he apparently said... Can't like, embarrass him. Yeah, exactly. He said, like, yeah, like, he was telling people in the embassy, like, if I need to, I'm going to go down there and shoot him myself. And it's, like, crazy stuff. But in the meantime, I don't know, Dr. Waller, if you know, you know that his wife just got, um, like, I think she's battling breast cancer. And um, the reason why so many people in the Jewish community are, like, concerned about this, obviously, is because that... And for like intelligence people, it's hard to like relate, I guess, because if they, they know they to them it's like one of their own and betraying their trust. It's like the ultimate betrayal. But at the same time, in our community, the fact that his wife is battling cancer and he's on parole with these like crazy circumstances that prevent him from being able to take his wife to the hospital and so on and so forth. I mean, to be honest, he also um, has put himself in this position specifically because he doesn't want to get used to the United States and he does want to leave whatever the reason is I mean I'm sure he has a lot of reasons but um, it's just one of these interesting things because I I know that your work at the center and like you guys are so pro-Israel and obviously um have positive views on on Israel and on the relationship but like it's interesting to hear from my perspective, at least the intelligence guys and guys who are operatives, such so as yourself and D and I, hopeful, can we say
1: that? Yeah, <laughs> Fred, yeah, light, sir,
0: um, and others. It's just it's interesting to hear the perspective of you guys on um, Pollard, because from our community. Well, that's
1: my own personal perspective. Like. I, I'm not speaking for anyone else.
0: No, no, of course, of course it. No, no, I'm saying it's interesting to hear your perspective As a person who was out there in the field Operating and know the But like, do you think They actually, like there has to There has to be Some sort of material that he gave That's classified that no one knows That got to someone Because otherwise it doesn't make sense I don't sense. know,
2: the, the directors of the CIA the, All the past directors of the CIA said not So that it wasn't true so, I have you know, to remember, Casper Weinberger had to be pardoned. The guy, the guy, the guy is a crook. <laughs> the guy's,
1: you know, I think he was a, I think he was a great patriot, but I think uh, uh, he was also had he had been CEO of Bechtel Corporation, so he was also very pro Arab at a time when you could not be right. pro Arab and pro Israel.
2: Right. I mean, Casper Weinberger was was also uh, uh, very possibly anti Semite. So there was some. I mean, there are people that 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 knew him from that era that he did not like Israel and Jews in particular.
0: What do you think? What do you think, Doctor? What's the verdict on you? You know I, you I obviously I, knew him, so what do you think?
1: oh, I had only met him and I was very junior. Uh, but but uh, I, I I never heard he was an anti-Semite, but I had heard he didn't like israel as a as a uh, meaning, he wasn't against Jewish people. Okay, so let, let's but get he into that didn't that first like the right. Jewish Why nation. do
0: people in the intelligence community, such as Casper, why did they not like Israel?
1: Well, first he was defense secretary.
0: Right. Okay. Um, right. So, so people yeah. like that. Why? Where? Where did that come from? Because Israel was obviously the only natural ally against the Soviets. And I'm um, sure all these guys they didn't weren't born like. In a bubble, they knew how the Mufti of Jerusalem had actually collaborated with the Nazis. I'm sure they had all the intelligence that they needed to know that you can't really trust any Arabs. And the Muslim Brotherhood was was in its infancy then, like as an as a active movement, right? Right. Did they not realize that that, that, that there was no hope and that there, that the that well, without modernization was, there was not gonna be It was the
2: original it was the original America First movement, which is why people said that the president was an anti Semite when he used that term, is because they, they believed that the oil that we were getting from the Arabs is more important than an allyship with Israel.
1: Yes, and and, and and not just the oil we were getting from them, but also the other business we were getting to build their infrastructure. So, you know, construction, uh, shipping, you know, all all that other stuff that was was part of the oil economy, that so they were not. We were not just buying their oil, but they were buying our stuff, and and that far outpaced anything, any economic value. If you're just looking at things of pure economic value, then the Israelis could uh, could provide at the time, and the and the and the Arabs would whine about this all the time, saying, "How can you guys be doing anything with the Israelis? You have to promise us you're not going to do anything with them." And they say, "Okay, fine. We just want to do business."
0: But it's interesting because that. If you think about it, America could have should have just gone energy like um like self like self sustaining and energy and all that jazz, like what the president is doing now, and could have avoided all this quote unquote blackmailing by the Arabs of the time.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, but that wasn't the thinking at the time. It's like we all have internal combustion engines and we're on an oil. Uh, oil consuming system and uh, people were against nuclear power and other alternatives and solar wasn't feasible for high energy consumption and so really let's just keep on going with oil and we've got this big keep in mind also the saudis were were very strong allies against uh, the soviets the, the problem was they were promoting jihadis to fight the communists instead of uh, simply fighting the communists on its own merits right so that was... Uh, and, that, and that was the other thing, looking the other way while our, while our so-called Arab allies were supporting jihadis. I remember this from the time, you know, how can you be, be so, so supportive of, of the Saudis as allies against the Soviets when they're supporting, you know, terrorists who want to kill all of us? And there was an awkward silence and then uh, a lot of dissembling about, well, they really don't... You know, so what did the they really think? They, they
0: thought that, like, bin Laden was just not going to ever happen?
1: Yeah, I mean, he wasn't a known person at the time. This was in the 80s. I mean, he was just No,
0: I know, but I'm just saying like they like 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 going by going in like by Charlie Wilson going down there and like training Muha- the Muhadine, right? Maj- whatever, Mujahideen, right? Whatever. Mujahideen, Mujahideen, yeah. right? Yeah. Like you basically enabled them to become what they
1: became, right? Yeah, the thinking was, well, look, they're fighting the Soviets, nobody else is,
2: so let's support them. The enemy of my enemy is my friend, but not necessarily with them. But
0: we didn't think that they would ever turn their back on us.
1: I don't think they—they. They, no, I think that the rest of it came as a big surprise, and and it wasn't it wasn't well thought through. It's it's sort of like, um, I mean, you know, in World War II, let's you know, we got to team up with Stalin. To, to defeat the Nazis, and that was the militarily sensible thing to do, uh, but we have to remember these guys are going to be our enemies after we defeat the Nazis, and we weren't ready for that. And I think it was sort of along those same lines. Remember, that was the World War II generation. that uh, They were they were young people during World War II, but they were raised with that type of thinking, so let's just go with the enemy of my enemy as my friend, and then we'll worry about the rest later. hmm very interesting thing is they didn't worry about the rest later because they continued to be allied with the very uh, r- r- royal families and others who were supporting bin laden in the first place it's like right. today with qatar right why in the world after all we know you know you can kind of say well we didn't really know what the saudis were doing or it wasn't all conclusive or whatever nonsense but i mean it's still okay you can still discuss that you can't discuss what Qatar is doing right now to continue to support terrorism and subversion and, and the destruction of, 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 of everything that we value, yet, yet here they are with their noses under the Trump tent. Right. It's
0: actually really crazy, and, and I I spoke to you about this once in person, it's actually interesting that not only the U.S. has, like, I mean, I know that the president has had the Amir over several times, but the Israelis actually, their public policy is to not attack the Qataris, but to blame the radicalism on the on some random sheikhs, right? And right. I've I've questioned them in public about this. I've said it let me know how that works out for you because it doesn't really make much sense. Nothing really over there goes passes by. I mean I think it's like the rule of thumb in any Arab country really. Like they don't nothing there can move an ounce. Nothing you can't gain an ounce or you cannot move an inch. Without their per- the permission of these uh, amirs or these uh, mullahs or whatever, so they're, they they kind of like just gloss over it because of the fact that Qataris pour millions of dollars into into Gaza, so it keeps some sort of stability. But at the same time, it's really pathetic to be honest. Or you know, this is my own personal opinion, obviously, because that it all boils down to the money, and it's sad because a lot of that money ends up just going to build terror tunnels and doesn't actually bring any stability. So breaking Hamas and giving them, cutting off their funding completely probably will save Gaza a lot quicker than letting them to continue to have funding that empowers Hamas to be a player in the region in the first place.
1: Yeah. In fact, the the strange thing right now is Israel – Egypt under El Sisi is more hardline than Israel on this position because they are they're the ones who were most actively opposing Qatar funding the um, the uh, the Palestinians Gaza. as part of this peace. Yeah, the, because they get all the
2: problems dumping from Gaza into their own country.
0: Right.
1: It's
2: amazing. It's amazing that that all this stuff is happening, and and we have uh, President Trump at this time. You know, you know, we believe you know that God does everything. Uh, you know, by plan, you know, had all this stuff been happening under Obama, we would have been in a lot of trouble. You know, we're hoping that with President Trump um, and, and, and some different, you know, he, he looks the world a little bit differently. We're hoping that all of this stuff will end up, you know, working out for, for the side of liberty and, and hopefully that our allies would be strengthened. Um, so thank you very, very much, Dr. Waller, for joining us. It was very, very informative. Thank you for giving us your time. We greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate it.
1: It was great to be with you guys.
2: All right. Thank you so much. All right, Chesky, that was that was really a, a great, um, a great, informative discussion. We always
0: have the best guests, and yeah, who are really educated.
2: Yeah, it was it was very very good. Um, it was it was a phenomenal, phenomenal. It was a little long, and we went a little bit longer. But this is somebody who doesn't have you know he, he doesn't give up his time easily. So I'm not so sure we'll be able to get him back in, in, in the next you know a uh, couple of weeks or months. And uh, we sort of threw him a curveball there with uh, Jonathan Pollard talking some Israel stuff. He was only going to come on for China, but uh, he was nice enough to give up his time. He gave over an hour, a little bit over an hour. Um, it was very very informative. I mean, it was interesting that he that he spoke how. How he actually doesn't—he thinks that the Chinese are actually just going to put this down and be the end of it. It was very interesting that he said that. A lot of people are saying that that they're actually going to get some some freedoms. He makes it sound like the Chinese government's not even going to allow that because if they do, it's, it's game over. So that was, that was an interesting take um, from him, and uh, you know, interesting take on, on on Qatar and Israel and Saudi Arabia. It was a really great show, and 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 just to wrap around, you know, um, it's it, interesting. The president, the president now has been tweeting and retweeting Fredo almost all day today.
1: <laughs>
2: and in between his Chinese tweets about China, he keeps on getting another dig in at Chris Cuomo, calling him Fredo, Fredo from the Godfather movies. Um, and it's just, it's very interesting to see how the president is sort of, you know, he uses the social media. He's all, he's all over the place. And... Um, it's it's I mean he now literally just a few minutes ago flat out attacked CNN as bad for America. So you're true without being stuck at an airport where CNN buys at a big price an uninterested audience, they've got nothing going. CNN is bad for America. So you know it's the fact that they don't realize the media doesn't realize that they're doing this to themselves is is just amazing. It's just amazing. They don't get him. They don't. They definitely don't get the president they don't understand him they don't understand what he uses twitter for it's it's just they have zero they,
0: experience. they 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 cannot they cannot fight against him because they just don't have the capacity to actually stop for a second and think and be like wait if we cut this guy off from the source
2: And it wouldn't even be that hard. They can just hire a conservative to sit in their office and just explain to them what's going on. I mean, it's... it's And and the president actually called out conservatives today. He wrote, it always happens when a conservative does even a fraction of what Chris Cuomo did with this lunatic rating, raving and cursing. They get destroyed by the fake news. But when a liberal Democrat like Chris Cuomo does it, Republicans immediately come to his defense. We never learn. And he's right. He's absolutely right with this. When a, a, a Republican would do something like this, Republicans dump on them. When a Democrat does it, a Republican sticks up for them. It's 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 beyond strange. It's absolutely, and, and this is why I think Donald Trump, where his his main core is like millennial conservatives, because they get what he's doing. They understand that this is a culture war. This is something that that um, you know Andrew Breitbart used to always say is that politics is, is downstream from 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 culture. That that the culture is what controls this. And and I think you see this with actually with a lot of older conservatives in their 60s and 70s. I think it's the Republicans that are in between. You know that that, that 40 and 50 and early 60s Republicans they don't get it. It's 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 strange. Like my my grandfather, you know, should live and be well. He's like you know he gets it. He's getting yeah, he what does. the president's doing. And 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 the younger conservatives and the younger Republicans get it. It's these is these midlife these these younger 40s to to younger 60s they just don't get it they 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 don't understand it but i'm telling you right now when it comes to the election the democrats are going to understand it because you know what they learned from the deplorables you know what hillary actually said by the deplorables i don't know if you actually know what she said the audience actually knows the whole con the context but she was actually saying something that wasn't wrong in particular what she said was is that inside the trump's you know Backers, you have this basket of deplorables, you know, and 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 but but the rest of them, we can talk to them. We can try to win them over. That's what she kind of said, right? Now the conservatives on social media basically made it sound like she called all of us deplorables. Which, listen, that's the way it works today. You you got to watch what you say, and I get it.
0: That but is the a that is that is the name of the game, baby.
2: Right, but what they what the Democrats learned from that wasn't that you shouldn't call. Any of them deplorables? It was they're all deplorables. They're all anti-Semites. They're all racists. Everyone that voted for Trump is a bigot and a homophobe and a xenophobe and a racist and an anti-Semite and an anti- you know uh, and Islamophobe. You're not you're not. I am, but but no. I'm all those things. But no. but an ageist and and sexist and discriminatory on everything. And you know it, that's everybody. Now what's interesting is is that they learned the complete wrong thing from. 20, from the last election, from 2016. And they're going to get, their, they're gonna get their, their, their heads handed to them again if they continue this stuff, because Donald Trump is going to eat these people alive once he gets on a stage with them. Because he, he... Forget the rope-a-dope. They go on stage playing one game, and he comes on stage playing a completely different one. He doesn't play by their rules. He doesn't play by anybody's rules, which is why they need to get better at this if they think they're going to win and I you know, I hope they don't I truly hope they don't because I, I hope he wins 48 states I hope he sends a message across America you know even bigger than he did in 2016
0: God willing
2: yep and with this we will uh, wish you a good night it was a little bit of a longer show tonight and we hope that you'll be here again next Tuesday and tell everybody that you know to download the podcast wherever you get your podcasts we're all over iTunes, um, uh, Play, uh, SoundCloud, etc. We're on all of them. So please look for the Ma Show. Listen Tuesday nights 9 p.m. at J Tribe Radio. Have a good night. You too, Nachman.
0: You've been listening to the Ma Show broadcasted from the socialist republic of new york but please don't tell our governor he asked us to
1: leave they have no place in the state of new york
0: tune in again next week tuesday at 9 p.m eastern or go to j tribe radio to listen to the podcast anytime on play itunes and stitcher